and she had this like pool toy inflatable dolphin that she had uh, cut open and was wearing. Okay, so unfortunately, Helen Zaltzman is not talking about red carpet fashion there, but there is still time to fix that. Margot Robbie, if you're listening, consider an inflatable dolphin for the Oscars. Anyway, from The Allusionist, it's Helen Zaltzman, today on Follow Friday. But first, I want to tell you about the Best Advice Show. It's a super short daily podcast about weird, delightful, and effective ways to survive and thrive. In every episode, you'll hear from a different person on how they made their life better, healthier, saner, and more livable. You will get advice on everything from keeping your anger in check to gamifying cooking for yourself. That's the Best Advice Show. Get it every morning wherever you listen to podcasts. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a show about the best people on the internet and why you should follow them. If you're new to the show, welcome. Every week I talk to the internet creators I admire most about who they follow online. These include podcasters, writers, comedians, musicians, and more. They have amazing taste and will guide us to the people they find fascinating who we should be following too. Today on the show is Helen Zaltzman, the host of The Illusionist, which is an outstanding independent podcast about language. Over the past six years, Helen has covered everything from cryptic crosswords to translations to public apologies. She also co-hosts two other podcasts, the comedy show Answer Me This, and a podcast about Veronica Mars, a TV show I love, called Veronica Mars Investigations. Here is a clip from a recent episode of The Allusionist, where Helen interviewed Krista Couture, a disabled musician and writer. At this point in the episode, Krista has just explained why she doesn't like the euphemisms differently abled or handicapable. So those are words I, I want people to not use. Interested to learn, though, that handicap was a betting term for the first 250 years of its life. <laughs> I mean, I do. It gets used in golf, doesn't it? Yeah. And horse <laughs> racing and things. Wow. Yeah. So it was only from like the 1890s that it was a, a physical disability word. Hmm. And now one that is frowned upon. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting, isn't it? How it shifts. I think actually the shiftingness is one of the things that makes people struggle with it because they're like, I don't know what to say now because 10 years ago I was told to say this other thing that I'm now not allowed to say. So I'm terrified to say this thing and now I've made this conversation very awkward <laughs> and the wrong word is like escape my mouth because I'm so stressed. Right, right. And I've I've been that stressed out person. <laughs> <laughs> You can find Helen on Twitter at Helen Zaltzman, and Zaltzman is spelled Z-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N. And you can follow along with us today. Every person she recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. Helen, welcome to Follow Friday. Thank you so much for having me. Also, thank you very much for spelling my name 
Uh, I appreciate it. You know, a lot of people see the little cluster of conscience consonants in the middle and they just immediately panic. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I did a summer program at Northwestern that was basically newspaper camp for wannabe journalists. And it was run by a man named Roger Boy, B-O-Y-E. And he said that when he was a kid, the local paper wrote up something he did and he was so excited to see his name in the paper. And then he opened it and they spelled his name Bore, B-O-R-E. <laughs> oh. <laughs> him for life so and that he passed that on to us <laughs> oh i've got uh i've got a similarly bad one it's my husband's whose uh, surname is orstwick and um he was an academic and they spelt his name on an academic paper auschwitz oh no <laughs> oh yes oh no not great yeah autocorrect don't do that well i think that was human correct i don't oh, know whether they disliked him worse. or something <laughs> mm, yes humans <laughs> Well, before we get into your fellows, I do have a language question for you. Um, kind of spinning off of the clip we just heard from Christopher Couture, what are the words or phrases that people commonly use today that you think we're going to regret? So not necessarily ableist terms specifically, although my girlfriend and I were talking about this. We think lame and crazy are probably near the top of the list. Are there any of those that come to mind? Yeah, there's probably a lot to do with mental health that are next. I think probably dumb yeah. Um, people need to reevaluate. Also, we have so many options for synonyms. What was I thinking of, though, just earlier that really <laughs> unnecessarily aggravates me? There are so many, and I thought, file this away <laughs> just in case Eric asks what you want to raise from the language, and this is your big chance. I know. Th this is the deciding moment. This is the point. Everyone listening to this will agree from here on out. We're not going to use these words anymore. <laughs> I've complained about this before when I was on Ologies, she asked, and I went on a rant about the word community being mm. used in this really kind of condescending, reductive way. I'm not sure people even realise it anymore, because I think people will just use it to mean a demographic, but it always, to me, sounds like it's a hundred people in a church hall or something mm -hmm. and they all have the same opinion and I think there's a certain danger to that of like making things quaint I, I think just whenever you're noticing yourself use a word like that just think do I even need it I think community it can often just be replaced like when they'll say the science community I see and it's or like, the female community I saw, which oh, is that's like, <laughs> that's, that's an awful lot of people. That's not really a community. That's half the world. So uh, stop it. What are you trying to say? Wait, you mean you don't have weekly meetings? You, you, don't, you don't have weekly summits of all, all the females in the world? <laughs> well, I may not be invited. Yeah, well. And uh, I'd imagine they would be uh, perhaps contentious if we did have them. <laughs> all right. Well, while Helen looks for her invite to the next female community meeting, let's find out who she follows online. It's Friday. So, Helen, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category Someone Super Talented Who's Still Under the Radar, and you picked Joe Neary, who is on Instagram at Wife on Earth. So talk about Joe, uh, what, what she does, and, and, and why you love her work. Well, I first met Joe. Um, God, about 16 years ago now. Um, she Well, she's a lot of things. She does character comedy. And so that's how I met her, because I know a lot of stand-ups, because my brother's in stand-up. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would see her around a lot. And then um, she started being a regular at this comedy club that I was helping my friend run in my neighbourhood. And um, it, was, it was kind of a weird one where people could come and do experimental stuff, which she's really good at. And then afterwards, she would come and sleep on my couch, because uh, it was quicker than going home. She lived outside <laughs> of London. And so that's how we got to know each other and doing some performance stuff together. And... Um, she can just do so many different 
things. Like she'll have a character based on Celia Johnson's character in Brief Encounter. So this woman who's like always falling in love, but it's being snatched away from her. Um. (laughs) Um, She does this uncanny Bjork impression and she loves Bjork as well. So it's it's not kind of, oh, isn't Bjork stupid? She really loves Bjork. Um, I saw her do a show where she was, she was playing a dolphin and she had this like pool toy inflatable dolphin that she had uh, cut open and was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> but she also does these dances. She really loves dancing. So she'll often do stuff that is silent, but just with incredible movement. Um, I don't know if you know the song Moon Shadow by Cat Stevens. I've heard of it. I couldn't hum it for you, no. I can hum it because I've seen her do this dance to it where it's just a very literal interpretation of what's happening. It goes like, and if I ever lose my eyes, and like she's got these uh, table tennis balls that <laughs> she like throws across the stage and then she does like the whole of the rest of the show with no eyes. And then, then the song goes, and if I ever lose my legs, and then she's got to dance with the without the use of her legs. And then oh it's like, gosh. if I ever lose my mouth and she spits Tic Tacs all over the stage as if they're teeth. So the whole time, <laughs> the whole several minutes of dance, she's had this mouthful of Tic Tacs. Oh my gosh. And she's just like, at the end of it, just a shambles. Just <laughs> it, except it's it's uh it's not. It's all it's all like kind of a shambles and kind of beautifully intentional. Yeah. And so she's very imaginative. Uh, she used to do this song called um, I'm the Worst Eminem Tribute Act in the World, oh, where no. she would just come and sort of sing this show tune. <laughs> 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 In the style of Eminem, or just no, just no, a show in the style of a show tune. Yeah, that's why she's the worst Eminem tribute act. Because um, so there's just a real kind of joy to her work, and then she um, has been keeping this like sort of comic book diary of her life for mm-hmm. decades. Does that on Instagram? Yeah, yeah, and I just find that really fun and and sort of interesting in style how she expresses her life visually or, or through these means, and always kind of unexpected, and how she can make very mundane things charming. I think she has kind of low self-esteem about how brilliant she is, which really? I find frustrating. Yeah, because she's yeah. like, well, you know, if things are based on merit, then, you know, if I deserved it, I would be doing better. And I was like, no, they're not. You're in showbiz. It's not based on merit at all. It's based <laughs> on hustle. This is something I was talking about when, when Allie Ward was on Follow Friday was um, we were talking about Chris Fleming, one of her picks, and how someone's stage presence can be completely at odds with who they are in private oh, life. Gosh, yeah. Where 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 she her pick, you know, we were speculating that uh Chris was, you know, this wild, absurdist, incredibly similarly creative, inventive comedian. And we were speculating, you know, um, based on other folks we've met, like we wonder if he's just really quiet and really reserved and just, you know, the complete opposite in real life. I do love though what you're saying though about how she's so inventive that she's trying multiple creative things that that it's not she's not just someone who's only doing the comic of her life she's not only doing the you know the stand-up musical stuff um is there anything in particular would would you say the the comic is the thing you most associate with her like when you are following her online or what is the thing that you that uh you see most often or that you uh follow the most often of her work yeah i'd say regarding what you were just saying about whether people are different on or off stage i think that's odd for her, given that she knows those people both on and off stage. So it's not even about yeah. their onstage confidence. It's about the fact that she is attributing things to her own abilities rather than how industries work. Right. Um, so I feel like she deserves more for the talents that she has. But um, I guess, yeah, now that... Um, I mean, I don't go to comedy really anymore, even before COVID. I'd sort of fallen off doing that. Mm-hmm. So for the first several years, I'd associate her with these like interpretive dances. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the drawings are... Are always there to be looked at 
even if uh, Joe is not. Um, but she's just one of these people that lives a very creative life. It's it's just so much part of who she is. Like you, you go to her house and like her desk looks like someone who's just really interested in the objects around her and and f- sort of creatively fed by them. Um, also, <laughs> she once came to visit with her husband, Pad, and we realised that Pad had the same shoes that my husband has, <laughs> except uh, two sizes smaller. So while my husband was uh, in the loo, um, we switched one of his shoes for one of Pad's <laughs> shoes and then watched him <laughs> struggling to put it on. I usually hate pranks, but it was um, it was an incredible day. Oh, well, that was Joe Neary, who is on Instagram at Wife on Earth. And her website is Joe Neary, J-O-N-E-A-R-Y dot com. It's Final Friday. Let's move on to Helen's next fellow. Helen, I asked you for someone who's an expert in a very specific niche that you love. And you said Justin Myers, a.k.a. The Guyliner, who is on Twitter at The Guyliner and is also at TheGuyliner.com. So Justin is best known for reviewing The Guardian Blind Date, which was a new concept to me. I was not familiar with this, but I guess it's a very long-running column. So maybe for, for ignorant Americans like me, let's first uh, explain what Blind Date is and then what Justin does with it that's so brilliant. <laughs> well, um, Guardian's Blind Date has been running for, I think, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And because The Guardian has a dating service that's been running for... 20 odd years a friend used it before the dating apps uh, came and it seemed like the people she met on that had a particular brand of being kind of arsy Um, (laughs) (laughs) but but the blind dates are pretty charming so they just match make um, two people to go on a dinner date at the moment they're all over Zoom because we've been under lockdown but and then they have to answer a series of questions which are always the same and um, and it's it's rare that the people will hit it off and want to see each other again. I'd say, if you're lucky, one in five. Mm-hmm. And then some of them, it's just, a, it's really upsetting if one of them is into the other one and that asymmetry right. is uh, is brutal. But it's just that kind of thing where just no, nosing into people's lives. It's It's a single page in a magazine on Saturdays. The magazine is just about to be discontinued, so who knows if they mm. will keep the blind date in some form. And what Justin Myers does is recap the column. I do enjoy um, commentary on other things that I enjoy, mm-hmm. like um, TV recaps, written ones. And this, it's been interesting watching how it's developed over the five or six years he's been doing it because he's been doing it that long wow yeah um, and I think it's probably a bit of a burden for him at this point to have to wake <laughs> up on Saturday and think oh my god people are expecting gotta me to gotta read about another stupid you know date that's not gonna go anywhere <laughs> yeah exactly and it's so frustrating the way that it's developed is that uh, it was initially just kind of like when, you, when you're watching TV with a friend and shouting at the TV it was a bit like that but now it's just like he'll get a lot of things in about um what things were like for him dating as a gay man and and like growing up in quite a homophobic society at the time and gay rights he'll talk about he'll talk a lot about kind of gender stuff because often the women will say things like oh I hope I didn't talk too much and he's like women always think that and we never get men who think they're too chatty so he'll manage to like make it into a commentary into so much more whilst also being really really funny about (laughs) two strangers meeting for a date and whether they hit it off or not it sort of like reminded me a bit of like Mystery Science Theater 3000. If you ever watched that show, where where they're I watching the, the bad movie and they're they're jumping in with with jokes, but obviously, like you're saying, he's also bringing in his personal 
experience as well, which makes it even funnier in some way, kind of more specific. Yeah, or sometimes just a very philosophical thing, because a lot of it is just so much about longing right. and the yearning for a human connection and how distant that prospect can seem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, if you're one of the people who's participating in the Guardian Blind Date, you probably know, if you've been reading it for a long time, you probably know there's not a super high chance of success. But at the same time, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a universal thing. Everyone would like to be with somebody, you know, so. Oh, yeah. And you are getting match made by a human being in that case and not just algorithms or geography. So maybe there is a higher chance from Guardian Blind Date. Could be. I also think there's uh, something interesting where I wonder if this is something you were consciously uh, thinking about as, as since you're a linguistics expert, is that... <laughs> expert. Well, I get experts yeah. on my show. That's uh, different. The, wor- the world's most famous enthusiast, at least. Uh, Justin is, is, is picking apart the words that people use to describe someone. Uh, when when they're being interviewed for the column, um, so in a recent the, his column that he does is called Impeccable Table Manners, and in a recent column he says uh, that a woman describes her date as down to earth, and he writes, "I always wonder what down to earth actually means. I take it to mean friendly and not intimidating here, but it can also mean common, can't it? I have no concept of what common is really, but I always interpret it as someone who wipes their hands in the back of their jeans after they've just eaten a shoe bun." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's another thing as well, because class is such a big thing still in Britain. And I think there was a a period of the 20th century where uh, Brits tried to pretend it wasn't. And we dealt with all of that now. And we really haven't. Uh, The parameters may have shifted some. So that's another thing that he often draws attention to in his analysis of the language. But I think also just sometimes it's funny to they have to describe them, the other person in three words. Mm -hmm. And um, so often the words are just a little bland and uh, (laughs) it's funny to extract from that Uh, the impeccable table manners thing is based on one of the other questions where they have to say whether the other person had good table manners Mm -hmm. which I don't know do you care about that do you notice it I don't know what I'm looking for what I noticed more than anything is how the person talks to people who are not me the uh, adage is like, if the person is nice to you, but rude to the wait staff, Ooh, then run yeah. away as fast as you can. Like, Absolutely. That's the thing. So any sort of interactions with any person who is not me, whether it's the waiter or if it's, you know, a pamphleteer on the street or I don't know what, like, that's kind of like the, the biggest thing I'm paying attention to more than, you know, whether yeah. or not they use the salad fork with or the, you know, oyster spoon or whatever. <laughs> yes, it seems non-priority now to have uh, in-depth cutlery knowledge yeah <laughs> so the question feels a little bit uh, redundant but i wonder whether they kept it because they the guardian knows that he's doing mm-hmm. this he has since been in the guardian talking about doing this <laughs> um and sometimes the daters mention that they talked about him on the date but there was a long streak where people would answer the question about table manners with the word impeccable <laughs> uh, which is an odd word to come up with it's a cliche so when you read columns like Blind Date or other things like that, are, are you doing the same thing Justin's doing? Are you reading between the lines, kind of picking apart what the words that people are using? Or are you just enjoying them just the way they're kind of intended as, as just yeah, entertainment? Yeah, I'm just enjoying them for fun. Uh, yeah. Because when I'm not forced by work to do this kind of interpretation, I like to switch that <laughs> part of my brain off. I'm really reading it because it's funny and interesting to kind of gawk at someone else have on a date you don't get to do that that much yeah and another thing is that this column comes out on saturdays and uh, the guy liner if he does it because he doesn't do it every week comes out on saturdays and and because i'm self-employed 
I don't have that much to distinguish one day from another、mm-hmm. or to distinguish the weekend from a weekday. But like, I know that those things happen on a Saturday. I know that the Grub Street diet, which I also enjoy in a kind of peering at other people's lives way, happens on a Friday. So that feels like kind of start of the weekend. And I don't know, it sounds sad when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> How unstructured my life is, except for by a handful of things. Once we all get out of, out of lockdown here, once everyone's vaccinated, everything opens up again, maybe there'll be some more sense of structure in our days. I don't know. No, I mean, I've been、no. <laughs> freelance, like self employed for 16 years. So, no,、yeah. <laughs> there really isn't. You've been there, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, lockdown was not a change in my work style. Right. Out of all people, which again seems like an upsetting thing to say out loud to you. Well,、uh, you can start up, you can pick up a new thing when, when, when you get out, you know? When we're, we're back to normal, you know, can join some club that only meets, you know, at a certain time on Thursdays or something like、mm. that. It just <laughs> seems like the kind of thing that I wouldn't do for more than one week as well because I'm so bad. But maybe, <laughs> maybe here's the thing I'm bad at imposing structure myself.、Mm. So I just need the external structures <laughs> of easily accessible things to read that come out on a particular day. Okay, well, here, here's hoping that whatever happens to the Guardian magazine, that uh, the uh, blind date continues to happen just, to, just、mm. for Helen's sake.、So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, for me. Do it for me. That was the Guy Liner, who is on Twitter at theguyliner or at theguyliner.com. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Helen Zaltzman from The Illusionist. Today's show is brought to you by Captivate. Which offers unlimited growth oriented podcast hosting for all kinds of creators. It's what I use to host this podcast, Follow Friday, and it makes my life so much easier. Publishing a new episode, checking analytics, distributing the podcast to every directory, Captivate makes all of that easy. Hosting plans start at just $17 per month, and you get everything you need right out of the box. Nothing is off limits. Try it out at captivate.fm slash follow Friday. And when you do, you can get a 28 day extended free trial when you enter the promo code follow Friday. And that's all one word. That's captivate.fm promo code follow Friday. Before we get back to Helen, a little announcement. I am making it easier for anyone, individual, business, whatever, to sponsor Follow Friday. So if your company wants to advertise here, go to followfridaypodcast.com slash advertise. If you have a podcast or a YouTube channel or book or something else you want to promote, go to followfridaypodcast.com slash advertise. Individual ad spots start at just $30. And I have impeccable podcast manners, if I do say so myself. Rates and availability are subject to change. For the most up to date information, visit followfridaypodcast.com. It's Follow Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Helen Zaltzman, I asked you to tell me someone who has stopped posting but needs to come back. You said the podcast Nancy, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. It's spelled just like it sounds N A N C Y. This was a show made by WNYC about the queer experience,、it、ran from 2017 to 2020. So, talk about what it meant to you and, and why you wanted to come back. Well, I don't want to force them because I think Kathy and Tobin, the hosts, are happy where they are now. Tobin's working at This American Life, Kathy's、mm-hmm. working at New York Times. And 
you know, it's better to go while people still want more of your podcast. I've been doing a podcast for 14 and a half years and uh, that is the opposite thing. (laughs) Uh, I think for me, as a podcaster, I don't often get to listen to podcasts for pleasure because my ears are busy with work. And then when I'm not listening to stuff that I'm making, they just really need a break. I used to listen to more stuff for pleasure when I was living in London and whenever you want to go somewhere else in London, it's likely to take an hour Mm-hmm. wherever it is <laughs> and an hour home and often it might be on a train that's very packed full of people so you can't even hold a book but you can listen to a podcast and that would really make the experience uh, a lot more tolerable and same when I was walking around I would listen to podcasts but because of lockdown I haven't been listening as much either because I haven't been going anywhere <laughs> and on walks my husband's usually with me and therefore I have to uh, talk to him I suppose so what I got from Nancy that I don't often get from podcasts is what people often go to podcasts for which is that feeling of uh, it's that parasocial relationship thing where you just want to spend time with the hosts and you love spending time with their friendship so I think that's what I loved predominantly about it but it's also a really meaningful show in ways that shouldn't be radical in this day and age but they still are where you've got this thing which is just about queer life and they have um, a wonderful Facebook group still, um, which has quietened down because the show's not going anymore. But it's still just like a safe space where I've never seen anyone be a jerk in it. Wow. And um, people can ask questions or post links and, you know, it doesn't have people in there antagonising them. And I think also just it's the kind of thing that would have been really useful <laughs> if it had been around earlier. Like, I'm 40 and... just thinking like there was nothing around in my teenage years except for a lot of kind of gay panic stuff Mm -hmm. because it was the 90s though there was still the fear from uh, the AIDS crisis there was nothing about gender like uh, I don't think I heard that much discourse really about gender or knew that I could even go and search for that until I was in my 30s and I just wish I had had shows like this around then yeah and you you had Kathy and Tobin Kathy too and Tobin Lowe on The Allusionist to talk about the word queer, right? Yes, yes, uh, in 2018. And that's a word that has changed so so much. It's so complicated. Like, whenever I do a show that is about um, anything to do with queer language, it's so complicated. The recent history alone is incredibly complex and not monolithic, so it will vary according to place and who you ask and... A lot of it as well just had to be covert because, uh, you know, when gayness was illegal, Mm -hmm. you couldn't necessarily publish things about it or they wouldn't necessarily be interpreted as you saying those things. So there's just so much of even fairly recent experience that is unrecorded. And this word means so many different things to different people even now. So it's kind of been reclaimed, but people are still aware that it has this power, a kind of negative power often I think the benefit of it is just it's such an open word and can be used to mean so many things and if you don't want to have to specify mm-hmm. things about yourself or, or like no you, d- you don't fit in labels it's just a useful word to say that you know you're not cisgender and heterosexual as a way of maybe to going back to your earlier point about community it's not quite the same thing as a community but it is a way of having some sort of political identity of, of attaching yourself to a group that has yeah. political power 
Yes. And I think making that episode really made me understand a lot of things more about uh, the political side of being queer. And it allowed me to articulate certain things that I had not necessarily been able to coalesce in my brain. And it's this way that having language to describe things can really enable you to think thoughts and express thoughts and so forth. So it's interesting to talk to Kathy and Tobin about that word because they are early 30s, I think. And I think they had grown up knowing that it was a slur. And yet they also find it useful to them now. I want to play a clip from the Allusionist episode where Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe appeared talking about the word queer. The first voice you'll hear is Kathy's and the last voice is Tobin's. And maybe I don't really honestly crave a singular label like some people do, which like, it's totally okay if you do. It's okay if you don't. And people who have no real business in your life. Yeah. So why are they so anxious to... Well, I think it might be because we host the podcast about queer life. To be fair, we invite some of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, we we're bear. queer. And then they're like, well, what kind? They've um, really zeroed in on certain things. Like, I've been asked so many times, like, what did I mean in our very first episode when I said I'm not completely gay? Which was my attempt at explaining to my mom this very fuzzy in middle ground that I actually live in. Mm. Not that you have a heterosexual knee. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, I have the most heteronormative feet. You know, <laughs> they're just straight as can be. My feet. Nothing I can do about it. And I talked to Eric Marcus, who makes the podcast "Making Gay History." And for Eric, as someone who came of age, I think in the seventies and eighties, the word "queer" was sort of weaponized against them. It was exclusively pejorative back then. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And because they're working on this show and a lot of the staff are younger, they have sort of encouraged Eric to reevaluate the word, which Eric has been doing, but not without emotions and Mm -hmm. personal cost. And I I think probably in a few years, it will be worth revisiting and and seeing if it has evolved further. Yeah, with any words like that that are sort of reclaimed slurs or other pejoratives, you know, basically every dimension of my identity, I have been historically privileged. So I'm always erring on the (laughs) side of just like, super cautious just because I don't know what someone's relationship is with a word. Even if some some people have reclaimed it, I, I'm always just like tiptoeing because I don't want to trigger something for someone who has had a really bad experience with a word that has been thrown at them in a way that I couldn't possibly anticipate or imagine. Um, so it's, it's a really tricky subject. It is. And I think people get very concerned about how much language evolves and sometimes how overwhelmingly quickly and how how much plurality there is in it as well because it, these words mean different things to different people. And I think some people react to that stress that, and the fear that they might use the wrong thing with just kind of doubling down on using stuff badly. Mm-hmm. I think the thing is, like, even if you have said a word before that you regret saying now... You can change that any any time. Right. You can change your language use, so that's great. Like it's you, okay to say I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, just like you didn't know then, right? And now you know better. It's just a constant education language, and and that does require some attention. But I don't think that's bad at all. And also, it's just really interesting and valuable to see how people talk about themselves and take cues from that. And I think that's easier and easier to do because. People might say stuff online that they don't say to your face or or describe themselves in a way they don't have to describe themselves in person because you know them. So it's an opportunity, I would say, rather than uh, a source of 
uh, anxiety upset. Or, yeah. yeah. And well, it's, I mean, everything's a source of anxiety. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the WNYC podcast, Nancy, which was hosted by Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Helen, I asked you for someone you don't know, but who you want to be your friend. You said Rick Samatter, who is on Twitter at What Samatter. That's what, W-H-A-T, Samatter, his last name, S-A-M-A-D-D-E-R, first of all. Top tier, maybe one of the best Twitter names I've ever heard. (laughs) Uh, But Rick is a columnist at The Guardian, and in your email to me, you singled out something he wrote a few years ago titled, Kitchen Gadgets Review, The Eggmaster, a horrifying, (laughs) unholy affair. So could you explain this column and what this horrifying thing, The Eggmaster, is? (laughs) <laughs> well, this is another thing that, that used to structure my week that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so what is my Wednesday now? Uh, Rick used to write a weekly column reviewing kitchen gadgets, most of which shouldn't exist, really. They're not uh, good for the world or necessary, uh, but it's, of course, very fun to watch him trying. And uh, I think the Eggmaster was a fairly early one that went viral because it was this um, contraption where you put in a couple of eggs and it extrudes. Imagine an omelette that is also a pipe and <laughs> smells really bad. There's a video of this in uh, Rick's column. It's it's terrifying. It's just like yes. the grossest thing. I think The Guardian probably violated some obscenity laws by, by publishing this. <laughs> it's just, it's awful. I wonder whether people bought them off the back of it just out of curiosity. Yeah, that's always the risk, right? If you're highlighting something that's bad, where, where, where it's like you, you drive people and just be like, it can't possibly be that awful, could it? <laughs> he describes the egg extrusion as a flaccid, spongy log, half jumps from the machine, writhing like an alien <laughs> parasite in search of a host body. It's horrifying, <laughs> like a scene from the lair of the white worm. So he's a good writer. This is what we're getting at. Um, really funny writer. He, yeah, he is. And he wrote a memoir a couple of years ago uh, called I Never Said I Loved You, which is really funny, but it's also absolutely devastating because mm. um, he talks about uh, childhood sexual abuse and depression and suicidal ideation. But it's also an incredible book to read. Really? It's really good. Okay, I yeah. will add that to my list. So uh, observe those content warnings, but um, it's fantastic. But the... <laughs> But just watching someone struggle with these things and, and also just I read this, I read the guy liner and I just really admire the turns of phrase because I hate writing, even though I have to do quite a lot of it for my job. So I feel like I can turn out a funny turn of phrase spontaneously in speech, but written down, it's just it feels <laughs> like an impossibility. I mean, it probably isn't. It just feels that way. Right. Uh, well, something I wanted to, to call out is uh, something Rick tweeted recently. He tweeted, My mother just asked me if it was necessary to have heard a podcast before she started her own. I said, I didn't think so. and <laughs> Which is funny on its own. But then you replied to this and said, I hadn't. And I didn't until I had been making my own podcast for a year. So I, I want to know about this. When, when did you uh, start listening? When you started listening to other podcasts, how did they compare to what you were making and what you expected, what you imagined they would sound like? Oh, well, remember, just, I think this is more inexcusable now. I think now if you're entering this medium, it ought to be because you care about it and you've done some research. But <laughs> I started podcasting at the beginning of 2007 right. when there weren't that many podcasts and they were really much more difficult to get. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really start listening to them for a year because that Christmas, my brother gave me an iPod in return for me having babysat 
his baby. Yeah. And that was what allowed me to start listening to podcasts. Because there were literally things you had to download to iTunes and sync to your iPod. Like, that was the yes. why, why they were called podcasts, yeah. Right. And I started podcasting before the first iPhone was released for context. So it was a very different internet world. Mm-hmm. And the podcasts I was drawn to were ones that were nothing like what I was making so I could not compare because having spent three days a week at the time four days a week making my own I really just wanted an escape from that so I can't tell you how they would compare <laughs> nowadays it does feel like there are some people who are who are starting shows without bothering to listen to anything else but <laughs> yeah. and I don't think it's it's completely inexcusable especially if people listen to things Mm-hmm. They might be very inspired by radio or audio art or That's true. you know particular music um, or you know I had a lot of influence of stand up upon me at the start because I had watched so much stand up uh, in the preceding years. So the inspiration can come from plenty of places other than podcasts. But now when I see people who are like, oh, I started a podcast, then I then someone else started a podcast of the same name, and I just think it's such. It's so inexcusable to start a podcast without having checked if anyone else has the name. Right. <laughs> it's At like, the yeah, very least. Do, do, do a quick search. It will not take that mm. long. <laughs> yeah, it takes minutes to find out if someone else has that name. There are still lots of names available, even though there are two million podcasts. Exactly. Uh, well, another thing that Rick does that I wanted to call out is, I think this was maybe after the Food Gadget series you mentioned. It's another series he was doing up until lockdown started called Wellness or Hellness, where he <laughs> uh, tries different wellness gadgets and routines. So like this one is a it's a $39 bamboo self-massage tool, which he describes as, quote, a bunch of barbecue skewers attached to a handle. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, are you someone who, who, who follows, well, first of all, do you follow this column or did you follow this column? And also, yeah. Yeah. You, you follow like the wellness industry. Is this is this something that's in your wheelhouse as well? The same as the kitchen gadgets. It's something I think about a lot linguistically. The wellness industry. Actually, this is weird. I kind of grew up with a lot of the current wellness industry thinking hmm. from my father. So it was couched in very different terms. But my father was very into crank remedies. Hmm. Um, and it was extraordinary because, I mean, maybe they worked because I never knew him to be ill, like not even to have a cold until he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in his 60s. So he was incredibly healthy, but I think he was always looking for a cure for something that didn't actually exist. So I think the the illness really was his discontent with his life and <laughs> it was displacement. But like... I don't know how he found these people, but he, he's also very faddy, so nothing really lasted for longer than a couple of months where he, he, I mean, he did Tai Chi for days and he was like, it's not working. And I was like, well, Tai Chi, I thought you had to practice the basics for at least a year. <laughs> he uh, used to see this witch doctor that claimed to be able to get rid of your your bad genes with a pendulum. Wow. And I was like, I don't think you can get rid of your genes. And he was like, no, no, no he's written a book. Like, <laughs> Anyone can write a book. So... It's somewhat a relief to me that now that the wellness industry has really taken hold, my dad is not online. (laughs) So at least he can't be like, he could spend so much more money now on absolute trash than he even did then. Because at least then you had to kind of find it in the back of a magazine or send off for something. Mm -hmm. But I look for the ways it is termed in language and, and ways that, I'm always very interested in, in how people are commercializing things on the sly. And by interested, I don't mean in a kind of, yay, great, <laughs> just in a, in a sort of watchful way. 
And I think the wellness industry does a lot of that, but also just the way that, again, I think it is sort of supplying cures for people who don't have that much wrong with their lives. If you're looking at the kind of Gwyneth Paltrow style where it's catering to rich white women. Right. But I think also often the way that wellness is termed, it can seem like, you know, if you're not well, it's your fault. You can self-determine this. Or if you look after yourself well enough, then uh, everything will be great and you'll look amazing and you'll never get sick. So there's that sense as well of undiagnosed privilege, I mm -hmm. guess, because uh, <laughs> that just runs through everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but in these gadgets, it is just, again, watching someone wrestle with something seemingly pointless. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing is like, it could be something that really, I, I, I think the obsession with wellness, as you're alluding to, can be, it can have really bad effects on a person's psyche or their own their their ego but like rick manages to make this like incredibly entertaining i i was i just like went down a rabbit hole of reading some of his uh, wellness or hellness columns so i would definitely recommend that as well and, and also i get quite stressed with just the amount of stuff that is manufactured yeah that really doesn't need to exist and um i suppose at least with this column it's like okay well th this is worth it and this isn't not that i'm buying any of the things anyway right but he, he's trying it so you don't have to. Yeah, that's very magnanimous of him. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was Rick Samatter, who is on Twitter at What's the Matter. Helen, thank you so much for sharing your follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? Oh, well, I am, uh, as you spelled earlier, Helen Zaltzman on Twitter and Instagram. And my shows are The Illusionist with an A, not an I. Answer me this, also with an A, but harder to mistake. And <laughs> Veronica Mars Investigations. And those can all be found in the pod places. And Illusionist is at Illusionist Show on the social platform. Wonderful. And you can find me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and the show on Twitter or Instagram at FollowFridayPod. The most important thing you can do to support this show is to tell a friend about it. There's probably a friend or family member you've been meaning to call for a while, but you haven't because you don't know what to talk about. Here's an idea. Why not talk about high-quality podcasts about internet culture? Or, you know, you can just pretend you discovered the people that Helen just recommended. If you can work in a plug for Follow Friday, though, I would appreciate it. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. Additional music by Catherine Chang and Purple Planet Music. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday. <laughs>